Man, good morning, Sycamore View. It's great to be with you today. Uh, Kip just said this is your 16th year here. I didn't realize today was the actual day that you started here. So we're so appreciative of you. Uh, this is also Clergy Appreciation Month. So I wanted to take just a moment to acknowledge and to thank the ministers in this church uh, for who they are. I get a chance that, I, you know, I know a lot of people who love their jobs, but they don't really love what they get to work with. Uh, I love my job and I love who I get to work with here. Uh, I, I've had a chance for a number of years that I lead the evaluations in this church, which gives me a chance that throughout the year I'm meeting with the ministers and doing soul care and, and praying through life and helping to set goals and think about execution and ministry and what we're trying to accomplish together as a team. And I am so appreciative for the team that we have here. Today is Pastor Appreciation Day, Clergy Appreciation Day. So I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you to encourage our ministers uh, this week, maybe today, Send them a note of encouragement and also to be praying that God would protect their joy, protect their hope, their courage. We live in a time now where it's hard to see leaders that we want to model our lives after. There's too many leaders in our world behave like middle schoolers. Can we agree? Uh, so, so I'm thankful to work with people who are committed to integrity and character, and we want God to protect those things. And I also just want to ask for the ministers here, Kip, Jim Hinkle, Fawn, Bauer, Fawn Taylor, Anna Moser, Justin Arger, if you're in the room, will you just stand where you are? And can we thank them? <clears throat> Wonderful. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Jim Simbola is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle up in Brooklyn. I had a chance to sit with him a few weeks ago and to process stories that he's written and things he's, uh, stories he has told. He's been the pastor there since the mid-70s. Over 40 years he's pastored this church. It started as a church of 19 people. It's now a church of over 10,000. They're committed to a life of prayer and justice, and they've seen this church grow over time. Uh, and they attribute a lot of that growth through their commitment to deep prayer. His wife is um, Carol Simbola, who since they started this church has led the choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It's a world-renowned, Grammy award-winning choir. They've performed all over the globe. They've been here in Memphis a few times. And through the seasons of growth in the life of their church, though the church was growing and people were coming to Jesus and chains were being broken and uh, people had all kind of testimonies of the movement and work of God in their lives, things in the symbol of house wasn't always nice, wasn't always good. There's specifically a time in the 80s when they had uh, their daughter Chrissy who just went crazy. She went wild. She was far from God. She ran away from home. They didn't know where she was for weeks. They just prayed. And they hit a point where it felt like rock bottom. It seemed like the more they prayed, the worse things got. And, and Chrissy was so far from the Lord, they didn't know where she was. The days before cell phones, and they, they would just pray. And one day, Carol sat down at a piano. Because she didn't know even how to pray for her daughter anymore. It was just sounds coming out of her. So she sat down at a piano, and she began to write, and she began to pray. And there, as she played on the piano, this song came to her that for years was... The, the song that came from the Brooklyn Tabernacle that was played by more people around the world than any other song. And it went like this. This was written out of deep pain in her own life as she was grieving her daughter being so far from God. And it went like this. In my moments of fear, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. 
Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I see my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I question, even fail to believe, yet he's been faithful, faithful to me. When my heart looked away, the many times I could not pray, still my God, he was faithful to me. The days I spent so selfishly reaching out for what pleased me, even then God was faithful to me. Isn't that powerful? That out of her own brokenness, this song was birthed that blessed people all over the world. And also in a time in her life when she was kind of public with people that her faith was shrinking, she was kind of drifting, she was so weak in her weakness, she reached for God's strength. Because this is one of the challenges we have, right? Like when we drift a little bit from our center and we find ourselves sinking or we find ourselves in a place of weakness, do we reach for God and God's strength or do we reach for anything that can temporarily satisfy This is a challenge for the people of Hebrews. They were getting pressed by society. They were asking like, is this whole Christian thing really worth it? And some of them weren't like denying their faith or denying the doctrine of God, but they were just fading and they were drifting and they were reaching for other things to satisfy. So this book is written to the church to try to encourage them. And you have places throughout Hebrews, like Hebrews 12, verse 12, where it says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees because their arms and their knees were weak. You have places, and I've reminded you of these almost every week in this series. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's asking them to fix their eyes on Jesus because they were so distracted and it was hard to fix their eyes on Jesus. And in Hebrews 10, 39, it says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And today we're going to be in Hebrews 3 and 4. We're going to talk a lot about rest. The title of the sermon this morning is Rest for the Weary. The word rest is used nine times in the book of Hebrews. I believe all of them are in Hebrews 3 and 4. It talks a lot about rest, but what do we even mean when we use the word rest? But I bet right now, if I were to ask you to fill in the blank, right now in your life you need rest from, I bet you could fill in the blank. Rest from financial insecurity, rest from stress, rest from heartache. Because I bet most of you here know what it's like for you to function from a place of good rest. Am I right? And I bet most of you here also know the person you can become when you don't get much rest. I don't need any finger pointing, but you just know it's true. I bet there are days, and I don't know this for a fact, but I bet there's days when Casey has looked at my boys mid-afternoon or late afternoon when I'm on my way home from work, and she has probably said, "Uh, kids, look, daddy had a really rough day today. I need y'all to keep it down and quiet because we don't know what dad's going to be like when he gets home. Uh, Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. Fritz Lang is the director Probably none of you have seen any of his movies, but Fritz Lang directed a movie Metropolis. And in that movie, and there's a, a Erwin McManus in, his, in one of his books, this, describes what this movie was like. And he describes it like this. It's a warning that humanity's dependence on technology may one day make them technology slave. The images of an efficient yet sterile society that lacks any emotion, any compassion, any love. That sounds kind of accurate, right? But can you guess what year Fritz Lang directed and produced this movie? You want to guess? 1927. 
and he said that. And I was thinking there's probably no one in this church who was alive when this movie came out, but Kay Jardinia was alive when this movie came out. I don't know if she saw it. It's been almost 100 years. And here's what he said. It's like he's prophetic that this is going to be something that's going to distract society. Now, technology didn't distract the church in Hebrews, but they had plenty of other things distracting them from rest, messing up their rhythms and their cycles that keep them connected to God and everything that's important to them. And here's this author who's going to talk to him about rest. I'm going to work you through these three chapters. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, here it is. Follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was, faith, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Now stop right there because I, I showed you a few weeks ago that there are these comparisons made throughout the book of Hebrews where Jesus is said to be better than angels and he's better than Moses and he's better than priests and he's better than Melchizedek, Melchizedek any high priest. It's not a comparison where it's like these two are close but Jesus is kind of better. This is a word that is used like this. This is not even close. As great as Moses was, Jesus is so much better than Moses. Jesus offers you more than Moses could ever offer you. Listen to verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. And I highlighted that last verse there in verse 6. If we hold firmly to our confidence, what does that look like in your life? To hold firmly to your confidence. To hold firmly to your confession that Jesus is Lord of your life. I find myself a lot of days having to pray. And sometimes these are short prayers and sometimes they can't be longer. But I find myself having to go back to my confession and do something like, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And then I have to describe or state out loud what is not. Like Jesus is Lord of my life. And this situation I'm facing today is not the Lord of my life. So sometimes the way this looks is like Jesus is the Lord of my life and some of the things I've done in my past, it's not the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life and the arrogance that can sometimes build up in me or the insecurities, they are not the Lord of my life. Sometimes it has to be something like this. Jesus is the Lord of my life and my family is not the Lord of my life because sometimes I put them on a throne that only Jesus should sit in. Jesus is the Lord of my life. My work's not the Lord of my life. This is my confession. Right, that Jesus is Lord. Hold on to that confession. Woody Allen wrote a farce. It was a movie, or a, a, it was a play. And it was, it was called God. It was a Greek drama. And the way the play went is that there was humanity, and they were on the stage, and they were in disarray, complete chaos. And the way the play went is that Zeus, God, was going to come down from the, from, the, from the ceiling, come down up on this crowd to help settle things and make everything better. But the way the play went is that as they began to lower Zeus down, Zeus got caught up in the wires and was strangled and died. And then the cast yelled out, God is dead, ad-lib the rest. And that's how the play would go. 
That when everybody thought that God was going to come down, Zeus was going to come down and bring peace and help everybody out, what happened is God died. So the plot became whatever the cast wanted the plot to become. Is this not what can so easily happen in our lives? When God doesn't begin to do things the way we think God should do them, we take the plot into our own hands. So when push comes to shove, and when the going gets tough, will we stick to God's script, or do we begin to write our own? Will we stick to how God wants this thing to play out? Or when we get confused about what God is doing, do we begin to take it into our own hands? In Psalm, or Hebrews 3, verse 7, the Hebrews writer is writing to people who are struggling with that very thing. How much of life do they take into their own hands? And when the going gets tough, how do they stay faithful to God even when it's hard? And in verse 7, here's what, here's what it says. So as the Holy Spirit says, and if you make notes in your Bible, I want you to highlight that. It's not that the Holy Spirit said. It's in the present tense. It's that the Holy Spirit is using an old word from God, a former word of God, to speak a present truth into the people of God in the here and now. The Holy Spirit is taking something from the past and is speaking life into the present. So as the Holy Spirit says, and now this author is going to quote Psalm 95 multiple times throughout chapter 3 and 4. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the, during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, there, I think there are two different ways we think about rest. Sometimes you think about rest as a location or a destination, which I think is how Psalm 95 is talking about rest. The rest was about the promised land. And sometimes we think about rest as location or destination. And sometimes we think about rest at a state, as, as a state of mind or a state of being. Like living in, a, living in constant state of rest. Some of you think about rest as location. So some of you, the way you think about rest right now is uh, the last two months have been hectic in your life. And you've been saying, if I can just get the fall break or I can just get the Christmas or I can just get to that next vacation, maybe I can get some rest. <clears throat> Every once in a while, my wife, Casey, snores. Every once in a while. Now, I ran the story by her, so I think we're good, all right? Now, if there's a cold or a sinus infection that hits her, sometimes she may make a little noise in her sleep. She may snore a little bit. And then other times, every once in a while, doesn't happen all the time, she snores. And when she snores, and it's not a cold or a sinus infection or something like that, 99% of the time when I wake up in my sleep, I know when I look at her over there making a little bit of noise, her hands are going to be behind her head, and there's going to be a little smile on her face <laughs> as she snores. And all I have to do is reach over, take her arms, and I put them down, and the snoring snops. And then if she puts them back up and the smile's on her face in her sleep, then she, she can begin to soar. And then we'll wake up the next day and we joke that I'm like, Casey, did you go to the beach last night? And she's like, I went to the beach in my dreams. It was awesome. It's her happy place. 
for Casey, once a year, she needs the beach. And for her, it is a place of rest and relaxation. And when my wife goes to the beach, she doesn't want to go shop or nothing. She wants to hang out in a chair with a little water and a book and herself and not me and not the kids. Just there for hours. And it's her resting place. Now, Casey and I also have a lot of conversations about what it means to to, be in a, to live in a state of mind where you're at rest, no matter what you're going through. And this is what that church was struggling with. So this author reminds them of the truth of Psalm 95, about, that refers to a time of Kadesh, a time when the people of God had been walking in the wilderness for years and they get so close to the promised land. They're almost there. And as they get close to the promised land, their hearts become hard and they get distracted and they forget the promises of God and they begin living for themselves. So God says, you're no longer gonna enter into the promised land because of your disobedience. And some of you probably need this in your life that you have committed your life to God and you're trying to live into a brighter future or you have and you get so close to living into the fullness of who God wants you to be but you're so easily distracted and you lose your way. Stay committed. Stay focused. Remain faithful. And this is exactly what this author speaks to the church. And some of you need this word today. In verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Like he really believes that there is this encouragement that the church is to do every single day to edify us. And look at everything that is around, because I think some of you know this verse but encourage one another daily. But look what is in front of it and look what is behind it. It's about keeping each other from having unbelieving hearts and turning away from God. And as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, that we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And in verse 10, uh, 15, and, and has, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This hardening heart is a, it's a refusal to believe, not just to believe in God, it's a refusal to believe that God's going to come through for you. And now follow me and, and stay, stay connected. I want to read just the first 11 verses of chapter 4 and listen to how he talks about rest and I want to try to make sense of this for you. So you flip it into the, uh, flip to the next chapter. Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of, was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. And this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let me try to make sense of this for you. What this author wants you to know is that in the very beginning, God rested. God's the first human being in, in all the Bible. God is the first being in the entire Bible to rest. It was God's idea. God implemented it. God commanded it. And because God rests, he rested, it means rest exists. There was a beginning for rest and God set it in motion and placed it in the world. So you can look back in the past and you can see God rested, therefore rest exists. And in Psalm 95, what it's doing is pointing to a future rest when there will be rest that will come. When Jesus comes back, it makes all things right. And this is what the church, this is one of the reasons we get together is to remind each other of this through the way we sing and how we pray that there is a future rest, which means that so much of the stress and pain you are suffering from right now will not go with you for eternity. That there's a day when evil is not going to prevail and life's going to defeat hate. When the disease you're experiencing right now will not go with you for eternity. Anxiety has a lifespan on it. That there are anything that is wrong with your life, there's a day when God's going to make all things right. There's a future rest that is, is coming. And, and we can anticipate that with great hope. And what Hebrews 3.4 also wants you to know. It's that there is a rest that is available right now. And here's how you get it. Is that you remain faithful to your confession to Jesus, no matter what. Even when it's hard. And that somehow the Bible is letting you know that through grief and pain, you remain faithful to God. You can experience rest in the here and now. It's a mystery to some. It takes guts to believe something like that. It takes God to believe something like that. It takes God to believe some of God's promises. What Hebrews 3 and 4 want you to know is Hebrews 3 begins with, hey, Jesus is faithful and has been faithful no matter what. And then Hebrews 3 and 4 want you to know that there have been generation after generation that many of them have not remained faithful to the promises of God. And then the question is asked of you and us, will you be faithful no matter what? And I hope that there are some here today who hear that kind of rest. And what you're thinking in your heart is, I want some of that. Like, I need that in my life. For the people of God in Psalm 95, when their hearts became hard, they began, began doing things that God didn't ask them to do. And there's one time around then when what happened was the Amalekites and the Canaanites, and you may not know your Bibles very well, but just know the Amalekites and Canaanites were enemies against God and God's people. And there was one time when the people of God picked up their swords, and they just knew they could go defeat the enemy. But their hearts were hard. They weren't listening to God, but they run out with their swords. And as they ran out with their swords, they were destroyed because they weren't moving with the rhythm of God. They weren't listening to God. They were doing their own thing. They had taken the plot and the plans and actions in this play, and they, they were writing their own script. And I think this is why the author of Hebrews begins referring to the sword in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, where the author says, the word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to, the, to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account that God is speaking a word through the Bible and also through revelation into your heart. And, and what happens is it's not the Amalekites and Canaanites that you have to deal with. It's God who you have to deal with. And when God uses a sword to go after your heart, it's not to destroy you. It is to, to open you up and to purify you and transform you and to remind you of what this faithful covenant means. So Jim and Carol Simbola had their daughter Chrissy, who was far from God. And Carol sat down at a piano and Carol wrote this song out of her experience. And Jim would just pray and pray and just didn't see as if God was doing anything. And every Tuesday night, for over 40 years, the Brooklyn Tabernacle gets together and they pray. I was at this prayer meeting a few weeks ago. Thousands of people show up every Tuesday night. The house is packed. And back when Chrissy had gone astray, thousands of people were there praying. And Jim was on the stage and somebody came up and they handed him a note and they said, tonight I think we need to pause and as a church we need to pray for your daughter Chrissy. Pastor Jim said he sat there with that note and he questioned whether this was of the Lord or not because he didn't want the attention to be on his family. He also knew there were so many people who were praying for his daughter Chrissy so he didn't know if this is something that they should honor that night but he had some other deacons and elders who came up and they're like, we need to pause and we need to pray for your daughter. And it's hard to describe what happens when you're in the Brooklyn Tabernacle and they decide to pray over something. Because there's not one person who prays. The whole church begins praying out loud. And it's really funny the way they describe it. They say there, when they pray out loud, it's like a delivery room where there's a lot of moaning and groaning, but there are great results that come from it. Because you can't make out some of the words. It's just sounds, just coming from people, just people crying out to God. And that's what happened that night. And the next morning, Jim said he went and he was in his bathroom and he was shaving. And his wife came running and busting into, bursting into the bathroom and said, Honey, you'll never believe he's in our kitchen right now. Chrissy is here. And Jim said he grabbed a towel and wiped the shaving cream off his face. And he went into the kitchen and there was Chrissy down on her knees crying. And she looked up and the first thing she said was, Dad, who was praying for me last night? Who was praying for me? She said, because dad, God woke me up in the middle of the night and just showed me that my life was heading in this spiral of destruction and God just like awakened me to this reality. Who was praying for me? And there, just the spirit of repentance broke out in her. And as I sat with Pastor Jim recently, I said, you got to tell me, man, this story happened 25 years ago. Where is Chrissy today? And she's on staff at a church in Chicago serving the Lord a few decades later. I would love to tell you if we prayed for you and your loved ones today, the exact same thing would happen for, for you. And I, I cannot make that promise, but I don't know anything else to do as a church. But to pause and ask for this rest of God that came upon Chrissy, is the same rest of God that can come upon you. And whoever it is that we need to offer up to the Lord. 
So Casey, I want you to come and join me for a time of prayer. We haven't rehearsed this. We just knew that we were going to come. And if you'll grab that blue mic right there. And I want to ask for those today in which you've heard this sermon and you've heard some of the words from chapter 3 and 4 and you've heard about this rest that can come in the midst of strife and stress and turmoil in your life. If this is you, if the cry of your heart today is, I need some of that rest in my life right now, I just want you to stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. You don't have to come up to the stage. If the cry of your heart is that you need the rest of God in your life, just stand where you are right now. We thank you and we love you and we pray right now as a church like eternity is on the line, believing that what, how we pray right now matters. In case you, you want to say something before we pray. Are you going to pray and then I pray? You go first. Okay. Last night I began praying through what I would say and the Lord brought to mind Luke chapter 18, the, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, who had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. Nobody could help her. Nobody had any answers. And I thought of all the people that I can think of right now in the word of God that were tired, like tired in their bones, tired. It might be this woman. Hope dashed, hope dashed, hope dashed, and just tired and then she heard of Jesus, and she went looking, and she, and she found him. She had heard that he was coming, and she went. And this woman had been pressed to the outside. She was an outsider, and unclean, unclean. And I, I imagine her in my mind's eye of, of having her head covering on, and, and maybe you can only see the, the, her eyes and her headdress and her, and her dress, long skirts. And she comes to see Jesus, and there he is, and he's being pressed. Scripture tells us in, in Luke 8, being pressed by the crowds. And she, she just knows, I have to get to him. I have to get to him. And so she, she follows, and she follows. And I'm imagining this woman who is so tired on the inside, and she gets close enough, but she can't touch him. And I imagine, again, my imagination, her sweeping up her skirts and leaning down and reaching through the legs and the sandals and just reaching as far as she can just to touch. And she barely touches his cloak and she is healed. Just reaching for, I just want some rest. I just want some rest. And so last night when I'm praying well over half an hour for you, those of you standing that are just, you're just tired in your bones. You just want some rest. And so today, I'm reaching out for you. And I'm, I'm reaching out in prayer saying, Lord, give them rest. Rest from just the, the daily grind. Rest because your marriage, you're missing each other. You're missing connections. Rest because you've, you've had a diagnosis or you've lost a loved one and you're tired of just walking through the store and having grief smack you in the face. You're tired. You're just tired. You're tired of fighting against depression and you just, you just want a glimpse of rest. So that's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer. If you're close to the people standing up, will you just stand and surround them? Let's lay hands on them. Nobody stands alone. <clears throat> Let's pray.
stand reaching like that woman who just wanted rest so desperately. And she, she had reached for other things in life and they did not satisfy. Lord, she knew that she needed you. And so on behalf of these people that so desperately need rest, I reach, I reach for you, Lord, and the rest that only you offer. And I ask that you give them a glimpse. I ask that you give them a glimpse of rest. Rest for their weary souls and whatever they're experiencing be it the daily grind in their marriages, they've experienced divorce, um, they're hustling for their worth, they've struggled with depression, but they're just, they're just so tired. Whatever it is, Lord, you know the deepest, deepest, darkest things in their life, the relief that they want. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm reaching for them and just asking for that rest that their soul can breathe deeply in your love and experience that rest. We only know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Elders and prayer leaders, will you go to receive people? And we're going to sing a song calling us into rest. Let's go ahead and stand as a church. And if you want to make your way to one of our elders or prayer leaders or come front where elders are here to receive you and to maybe share with the church something we can pray for, uh, let's sing this song as an anthem and a declaration.